This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, appreciate you being with us on the Thursday edition of the show. And I'm going to tell you, Thursday, always packed with, well, the same amount of stuff that we normally have on the show. It just always feels like there's more stuff here. Rami Amuthan at the home studio in Toronto. Welcome back. Hello. Welcome to you, too. Uh, how much snow did Toronto get? Did you did you get a total? <sighs> total? Oh, I don't know. I just so, snow. Here in London, um, people mm-hmm. refer to this as the snow belt. And then people ask me, well, what's that mean? And what it simply means is we get a little more snow generally, but that's not always the case. You can't just say, oh, there's snowy weather moving in. London, of course, will get more. That's not necessarily the truth. What it means is the snow squalls come off the lake. People then will right. say to me, what's, uh, what's a snow squall? It sounds well, really fun. You try to picture it almost like as if there was a source going right from the water of the lake at one spot, over the land and inland about 20, 30 miles. And it looks, if you pictured it in your head, like a huge funnel of snow just being blasted one direction. That's probably four, six, ten kilometers wide. Mm. And people kind of, well, I don't really understand. Well, anything underneath that is going to get buried in snow. So that's where you suddenly can go from an area where, oh, I thought they had snow up here. Oh, oh, there's snow up ahead. Oh, is there ever snow up ahead? It can change that much. I mean, we've had times in London where East London is buried in snow and West London has none. And it's simply because of that funnel of snow being blasted off the lake, almost in a line if you could, as if you could draw across a map. That's pretty interesting. But to explain it. just need other funnels to spread it out. Well, it moves around, right? Sometimes okay. it'll it'll Afterwards. blow one way and then it'll, mm. all right, I'm done over here and move over yeah. another direct. But to explain this to people and tell them, well, this is kind of life living near a Great Lake. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our, our like, like the Great Lakes have so much water. What is it? One fifth of the world's water mm-hmm. is in the Great Lakes. I think I have that number right. I remember that. So it gets pretty phenomenal when you think about it and we get ready. For this stuff, and there's some winters where it just seems like that that snowmaker, it, it's almost like a, a making snow for a ski hill, as if that snowmaker <laughs> is just put on all the time. Other times, you know, Toronto and everybody kicks our butt in amounts of snow. Yeah. So it's strange. Buffalo kind of has the same problem, being where it is and affected by the lakes. And, and really, sometimes you'll get these ridiculous amounts of snow in 24 hours. Buffalo gets two feet of snow. <laughs> what? What? And it Weren't cranks even ready. up. Oh yeah, lots of fun. Uh, we love that this kids here. You know, you just kept praying. Please, please, snow squall, snow, snow squall. Oh, yes. snow day and lots of playing. Let's take a look, folks. And speaking of playing, and see what we've got ahead on the program today. Fern Lullum highlights a report reviewing a survey. Uh, very interesting, folks, about online access information provided by UK museums and cultural heritage sites. 
Kristen Shaw is the founder of the Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter, and he's going to tell us more about this newsletter for people that he's targeting with any disability. I love initiatives like that. That's, mm-hmm. I'm so excited for that conversation. On Curious Minds today in Hour 2, Christine Malik will be informing us about the importance and excitement around the agricultural revolution. As I mentioned, that'll be later on here on Kelly & Company in Hour 2. Musician Roberta Flack can no longer sing. Roberta Flack has been diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Flack's management says it makes it impossible for her to sing and not easy to speak. Flack, who's 85, is best known for songs like Killing Me Softly with his song, The Closer I Get to You and Feel Like Making Love. The announcement comes just as a documentary about Flack called Roberta will premiere Thursday at the DOCNYC Film Festival. I'm Archie Zaroleta. I think about how many people uh, I knew as, as a kid, as an artist, an actor, a performer of some kind, and these are the stories, and, and we're hearing them readily almost one a week, something health-wise that somebody's dealing with, whether it's cancer, um, whether mm-hmm. it's it's something like Lou Gehrig's disease. And you really step back because you think, oh, how successful, what a great life, that you know, but we all know health has nothing to do with wonderful life, poor life, or, or whatever in the way of the timing and when when whatever befalls you, befalls you. So uh, very sad to hear hear that in the part of her not being able to sing because you know what that must 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 mean to her. Yeah, that's what I think of. I mean, people can probably think, hey, she's 85. She's done it all. She's amazing. Um, and now she can take a break. But the singing, the vocal, being part of her identity for so long, that's what she's known for. That must be extremely difficult to come to terms with. And um, and, and that's just the singing part of it. I yeah. mean, it, it crushes you. Well, you see it with athletes when they know, hey, man, I'm I'm more for the bench because I'm not at the same skill I was. So mm-hmm. I get that and, and, and that part of it. And I understand that's just as heartbreaking. But, it is. you know, me- it's, singing, it's letting go. Like, exactly. Knowing that it's over for you. Yeah. But this music and performance, this brings you such joy. And, you know, to know you can't even just for your own amusement, do the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Rum, we've got just a bit of time left. Can you fill us in on our book of the month, please, for a reminder? Yes, of course. The Diamond Eye is what we're reading by Kate Quinn, and it was recommended to us by Julie Martin. And this one is available in human narration on the Center for Equitable Library Access, so celalibrary.ca. It's an unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper, based on a true story as well. In the snowbound city of Kiev, Rye and bookish history student Mila Pavlikenko organizes her life around her library job and her young son, but Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. Given a rifle and sent to join the fight, Mila must forge herself from studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. And then when news of her 300th kill makes her a national heroine, Mila finds herself uh, torn from the bloody battles of the Eastern Front and sent to America on a goodwill tours where she was still reeling from World War um, world war wounds and devastated by loss Mila finds herself isolated and lonely in the glaring world of washington dc until an unexpected friendship with first lady eleanor roosevelt and an even more unexpected connection with the silent fellow sniper 
offer the possibility of happiness for her. Lots going on in this story, and it's very, very riveting. You can check it out and then join the discussion on Tuesday, November 29th. That's when when we're talking about it. Send us your feedback at feedback at ami.ca, as well as call us, leave us a voicemail, 1-866-509-4545. Enjoying the book. Um, got a good start on it, working away at it. But as you say, Ramya, so much going on in it mm-hmm. and so many um, levels and layers. It's not all about, oh, how many kills and, and all that kind of description of the story. There, There's more to it, uh, which is always nice when you're reading a book. I mean, we all have our genres, our favorites and the kind of stories, but you, you want depth to the story as well. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks, and we're going to do a little learning next with Michael Fair. Let's learn how to protect our sense of information on the iPhone. Michael Fair is going to give us a crash course on the security and privacy features available to you on iOS. Remember to check us out through TuneIn Radio. OO Tunes are excellent apps in which you can follow Kelly and Company. If you have to scoot out, just simply download one of those apps to your smart device and do a search for AMI Audio and take us with you. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern with a repeat at 10 p.m. Eastern time so you don't have to miss the show in case you have to go out. OO Tunes, TuneIn Radio, awesome apps. Of course, you can sit at your desk if you're working there or just fiddling around and prefer to listen this way right from AMI.ca, where you can stream AMI-audio. That's at AMI.ca. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Here we go. On Thursdays, we love to talk either audio entertainment or a little bit of tech with Mike Fair. And today, we're not quite plunging headlong into holiday fun mode. We're actually taking it a bit more seriously because, Michael, you thought it'd be a good idea to give us a crash course in the security and privacy realm of iOS. Um, And this is important because people need to know what they can do to protect their sensitive information. And there's lots out there. Some of it is, you might think of it as a given, but uh, there are a lot here that you're going to cover in the next little bit today and next time that will be good demonstration. So where can we find the settings to help us manage our security, Mike? Okay, so there's a few different places. Apple kind of scatters these a little bit. Uh, The first setting is the very first area in settings after the search you find uh, called Apple ID. It it has, once you've set up, it'll have your name, and then it'll also say manage Apple ID. And that's where you deal with that side of things. Anything between you and Apple Uh, is there. And you can manage payment. You can manage all kinds of things in there. Uh, Another one is in the display and brightness area. There's an auto lock setting. And that is, uh, I usually have it disabled. I have that to never. But you can say, I want this phone to lock automatically in two minutes if I don't do anything. And it will do that. And that might be helpful when you're traveling so that it's not left unlocked, unbeknownst to you. Another one is voiceover. If you're using voiceover and you're blind, you might not want people looking over your shoulder and you don't know that they're seeing what you're doing. Well, there's a default. It defaults to on. It's a setting called screen curtain. And you can turn that on and, on and off when you need to with a three-finger triple tap. And uh, that'll, that'll turn it on and off. And, uh, and you can uh, basically do that and, and uh, you know, show people when you need to or not. 
uh, ID and passcode. This could be touch ID or face ID and passcode. Uh, this lets you control that aspect of your security. So uh, that lets you into your iPhone. It kind of is a, is a lock on your device. Uh, so that, that's uh, what that's for. It's separate from Apple ID. Uh, screen time. If you're a parent, you might want to block certain activities from your kids on your kids' iPhones, uh, maybe restrict them from doing things. That's, there's a lot of settings to do with that in screen time, uh, which is an interesting place for Apple to stick those. And um, the other real big key area is called privacy and security, and that has so much in it that we'll be dealing with most of that next week. But those are the places where you go to to really dig in and manage what you know what information apps can deal with and have access to, uh, and uh, things like your microphone, your camera, uh, different databases like your contacts. So a lot of control in that area in privacy and security. So hopefully that'll give people an idea of where to look. Awesome. That's really amazing, Mike, and so much there to to work with, and so many of those little things that we we do. Uh, swear by uh, screen curtains and things like that when you're maybe in a little more of a public place. So why is it so important that we remember our Apple ID and password? Well, that is your basic proof to Apple that you're you. So, and that has to do with the, the website. It has to do with anything you've bought from Apple, all your purchases, your iCloud information. Uh, all of that is not tied to that specific phone that you're carrying or your iPad that's tied to your Apple ID. So if for some reason your phone gets destroyed or stolen or whatever, you could get a new device and actually log in using your Apple ID and password and recover your information, get it onto your new phone uh, and, and as long as it's been backed up and you'll have it all there. So I have, I've done that many times now over the years and I've never lost contact information. I've never lost uh, access to purchases and that's why because I can prove to Apple that I'm me because I've never forgotten my Apple ID and password. So those are, it's very, very key to remember. They're the keys to your digital kingdom. Everything mm -hmm. you've invested in with Apple is tied into that. And we've definitely heard the horror stories, some media coverage as well, and, and legal uh, issues where people wanted to get access. But really, like if you're a, not the owner of your device, and B, if you forgot your own stuff, then it can be a bit of a problem for you. How can we regain access to our stuff if we forget our password, Mike? Yes, there, is a, there are a few different ways. Uh, one of the ways is a verification code. The e that's the easiest, most common way. Apple will send a verification code to a trusted number or device. So a trusted phone number, you can have it either do it by text message or do it by voice. And then the idea is you'd hear the code and then uh, your phone, if you have it, would announce the code. Uh, or if it's a, a vo if you've chosen voice, then, of course, you'd get it that way. And then you'd type it in and, and when, it, when you're asked for that verification code. And that would prove that you were you. So you do have to memorize it. It's going to be a six-digit code. And you put it in, and then that gives, that gives you control again. Uh, another thing is a recovery code, uh, a recovery contact. What that does is it say, I don't want to have to deal with Apple, but I, I want to deal with this trusted person. Could be a parent, could be a guardian, a friend, and let's say, oh, I've forgotten my Apple ID and password. Well, you could uh, contact your friend to get a code, that, and, and your friend could get this code that then they can tell you. And the only use for that code is to give you access to prove that you're you and get you back into your account. 
and uh, it only works once. So, you know, that that's another method that you could really? easily get access. Yeah. It only works uh, once. Another, okay. Yeah. And, and another thing that works more than once is a recovery key. This is puts all the onus on you. You get a 28-character set of letters and numbers, and you had better do it precisely and remember them, copy them down precisely, because you're going to have to enter those to get access, and no one else can help you at all. Apple can do nothing for you if you can't do that or if you've lost the code. So I don't recommend that for most people. The recovery contact is a much better option, I think, for people with memory issues who might forget their uh, code, uh, password, and ID easily. So I would recommend going in that direction. Ooh, boy. Uh, how do we manage, manage these choices for recovering our Apple ID when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the stuff that we're dealing with, Mike? Because some of that can be pretty daunting. Yes, you go into settings, then you go into the Apple ID and password area, which usually has your name on it. It'll be the very first item in settings. Then you go, uh, you flick right to get to password and security. And uh, once you're in there, that's where you can choose uh, to change your password for your Apple ID if you need to, and also use these recovery options. And, uh, and it's called rec account recovery. There's a, a button that you can double tap that will give you those options and, and let you set those up. Uh, and it also has things about a legacy uh, contact. If you should pass away, there's a way to let other people have easier access to at least some of your information. So there's, all of that is, is in the, the account recovery and that whole section uh, of settings. So you should really give that a good thorough looking through. Okay, Mike. So these are all great tips, but you believe that we also need face and touch ID. I think it's pretty prominent that we're uh, heading that way with biometrics and a passcode too. So why is that? Well, that is because you have to, that, like that Apple ID is your proof to Apple that you're you, but you also need proof that you are the person holding your device. Otherwise, anyone could just pick up to your device. And if they do your Apple ID and password, they could do anything. This way, they can't. They need your face. They need your finger. Uh, and if they don't have those things uh, handy, and uh, th then you, you can't get in. So uh, you, you'll be blocked. Uh, eventually, you phone a lock, and you won't be able to unlock it again. So uh, that's you need there the locks on your device, that specific device. You can actually have a different passcode for each of your devices if you wanted to. Wow. Okay, so do we need to use a six-digit passcode? No, you, there actually is an option. If you flick past when when it tells you that you know you want to put in your you want to set up your passcode, you flick a little farther and you get to uh, uh, your your passcode options, and uh, you can actually put in uh, you know a different uh, different number. You can use an al alphanumeric, uh, so letters and numbers if you prefer. You can use a four-digit, but a six-digit is just the default. So you can, there's a lot of choice there. Just please choose something that you will remember. It does no one good if you lock yourself out of your own device. No. So no, the, the nightmares really, are crazy. About that. Exactly. So be sure you do that. Think of something simple. You have to be able to get into your device. Uh, and so it's, it, you know, you don't think Fort Knox. It's much yeah. better for you to be able to get in. I think the real 
important part from this conversation for me is like that recovery, right? So uh, all of these different ways to protect your devices and your online identity, absolutely. But then also what happens if you can't find, uh, remember your credentials. And that's why these recovery keys, the recovery contact and the verification codes, all these different methods um, are pretty vital for you to understand so that you don't set everything up and then walk away and then come back and say, "Uh Oh, I'm locked out. I I really am a big, a big believer in now um, in having that system that, you know, that may be a combination, the the 28 digits you mentioned, for example, Mike, for example, something that has a, a methodology, you know, and understand so that, you know, maybe you use this kind of 28 digit but you know the last two or six, what your option might be, whether it's, I don't know, you know, uh, your yeah. pet names that you go through that you, you, you had your dog, you know, when you were six, your 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 cat when you were 18. But you stick to that so yeah. that you know, um, what do they call it? A convention, a, a convention that you're using to, to help you yeah. with passwords. It, yeah, and have variants of that that you can just easily remember so that you can just set the code. And and uh, remember it because you will be asked. Like eventually, uh, if your face or touch ID doesn't work, maybe your hands are wet, maybe your you know your face is in the wrong kind of light, and it won't recognize, and it'll ask right. for that code. So the passcode is really the foundation, and then face and touch ID are kind of above that. And you can use that for different things. You need that to be able to use things like Apple Pay, things mm-hmm. where you really need security, at paying for apps, paying for different things. Instead of having to put in your password all the time, you can look or touch and it will just work and you'll, you'll be able yeah. to get that app with a double click of a side button. And uh, so that's, that's the kind of thing where it just is really just you got to keep those, those pieces of information in your head. Uh, those are the, the keys to your kingdom with Apple stuff. And you definitely don't want to make it easy on yourself and others because that just means more compromise for all the things that you've put into your devices and online. So I'm very curious about when we're going to get into the pass key situation because that's uh, a mist as well. But Michael, we got to let you go. So you'll be back with part two next week. Any last words you were going to say? Well, yeah, pass keys are just emerging now, but eventually yep. they're going to solve the I forgot my password to this place problem, mm-hmm. and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, but uh, next week we'll definitely be diving into some more stuff, including the privacy and security area. There's lots to cover. Perfect. Thank you and looking forward to it. All righty. We'll see you next week. You can find all the features discussed in the settings on iOS, so uh, remember to go check that out on your iOS devices, your iPhones and such. And Michael Fair, as he said, will be back with part two next Thursday. It's amazing because we've talked about now you often don't know a person's phone number. You save it under their name in your your, your phone. Yeah. So we're doing less working those digits, those security codes, those passwords, whatever it might be, combinations to a lock or whatever. Our mind doesn't get the exercise for that. So you see mm-hmm. how needed so many of these things are to help us keep from locking ourselves out of what we consider life. <laughs> Coming up next in a moment, Fern Lalam highlights a report that actually reviews a survey of online access information provided by UK museums and cultural heritage sites. We'll talk to her in two minutes.
Welcome back to the Thursday edition of the program. Appreciate you and your time wherever you are listening in around the world. Always wonderful to have you as we work our way through a Thursday program and a lot of things ahead on the show. Oh, boy, we've got quite a diversity on the program, but... I think there's some good little themes here if we look at some of the information coming our way, the research, and um, anyway, I think you'll get the picture as the, the program unfolds, ladies and gentlemen. Ramia Muthan, she's at her home studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. And we're going to go a little ways out today, oh, over to the UK, and Fern Lullum joins us. Today, we're going to be discussing... Uh, information, this is a survey that we are going to be following here of online access information provided by UK museums and cultural heritage sites. Fern, welcome back. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. And the survey you mentioned is called Heritage Access 2022, and it involved reviewing over 3,000 museums and heritage websites um, to access the quality of, of, of uh, sorry, to assess the quality of accessibility um, and the information that's provided for disabled people um, so that they can see what it's like from their point of view. You know, it's interesting for into the a few days ago, somebody and I were having a conversation here on the program about legitimacy of so many surveys. We get asked stuff sent to us all the time. Hey, will you participate? Will you fill this out? And I think for me, I, I look at some of the questions and say, okay, they're taking this one reasonably serious. Obviously, obviously, there's no way to know. People can get gathering information and put it in their back pocket and do nothing with it. But it's an interesting gauge when you find the questions and you say, yeah, that is something I would want to know. That's not something who, from, written by somebody who knows a blind person who thinks I'd want to know that. So we're yeah. talking here about a major piece of work by the sounds of it. Uh, how big was this? Yep, just like myself, a major piece of work, Kelly. You got that right, right on the head there. Um, it, Left the door open. <laughs> I thought I'd say it before you did. Um, it, and it certainly was a major piece of work, indeed. Um, it was funded by our National Lottery Heritage Fund, and it was undertaken by the charity Vocalize and partner organisations. And it involved 61 volunteer digital researchers, many of whom have lived experience of access barriers themselves. So, like you said, it was from people who know what they're talking about. Right. Yep. Yep. And we've talked about Vocalize before on the show, too. So that's great. Familiar names. You could say that the survey was about the first part of a disabled person's journey in deciding to go to a, a museum or a heritage site, right? Exactly, Ramya. And it's, it is very important, um, a part of their journey, because some research does suggest that 92% of disabled people search for access information before visiting. And if it's not available, they simply just cancel their visit and don't go. Yeah, and that suits no one because it means disappointment for disabled people and less visitors for the venue. Yeah, exactly. And it can have a really big impact on disabled people. I think it can add to feelings of isolation and exclusion. I know I felt that before when a website just isn't accessible to me. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, that leads to damage to your mental health, self-esteem, all of the rest of it. It's just all a downhill spiral from there, Mm -hmm. really. Yeah, it's definitely a ripple effect when you feel like you're not involved or... uh noted for one part of life, then it makes a significant impact on how you feel and your identity in the rest of society. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about the findings from the report. 
Well, it found that 81% of museum and heritage websites include at least some access information, and this is unchanged from a similar survey done in 2018. So purely on that measure, no recent progress has been made. No, and of course it means that nearly one in five websites still contain no access information at all. Yeah. Okay. That is quite disappointing. Is that the tone of the whole report, though? Mm. I hope not. No, no. So it's important to say that overall the report notes that progress is being made. For example, websites that are providing information are providing more than they were in 2018. Um, And there is also evidence of significant increases in the range of people assisted by that information. So trying to cater to more different disabilities. And that's really good. That's nice to hear because otherwise you're left feeling like, well, nobody cares or none of us are asking for that information. So nobody thinks, well, the last thing that blind people need, they're not coming out here or they're not interested. They have a friend who goes on the site and looks for them or or makes a call or maybe they just call us up. Um, Does the report give some uh, advice based on its findings so far? Yeah, and that's one of the great things about it, really. For example, it does recommend that where possible, text on a website is supplemented by audio, video and images. And this really helps to ensure that people with a range of disabilities can access the information however they need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we know as screen reader users um, that screen readers can definitely help blind people with that. That's true. Um, But the report does make the point that bespoke audio from a human voice will often make disabled people feel more included and welcomed by the the venue rather than if they just say, oh, well, you've got a screen reader for that. Sure. Because going that extra mile can make a huge difference. But no matter how accessible a website is, sometimes we need to contact the venue for whatever information we're looking for. A lot of time I find, you know, you might want to know the time. How long is is a play or something because you've got transportation arrangements to make. Does the report cover that? Yes. And once again, the report recommends a range of options. For example, deaf people might prefer email, whereas blind people might prefer phone. So it's saying don't just give one select option, give all of them and then they can choose. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And how about the online chat option that a lot of people you'd utilize? Yeah, that's getting more and more popular, isn't it? And um, that is also mentioned in the report. Um, Although it seems that it is rarely offered at the moment, it is important to say that although the option um, of direct access is encouraged, so have a chat line, you know, have have an instant chat on your website, the report is clear that it should never be offered instead of information on the website. So there also needs to be that information as well. Right, 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 of course. Is there any indication that things are improving when it comes to contact, you know, when you think of those kind of details that we need? Yes, 56% of sites with access information now provide contact details compared to just 39% back in 2018. Amazing, because sometimes you just need to get to the bottom of things, you know? Um, Like, why are they taking all my money out? Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, (laughs) what about information related to the venue itself? Because often people with disabilities to like uh, to have that information, a feel for the venue before visiting. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and that can be very important. And, and the report recommends that a large print, high contrast version of the venue's floor, floor plan on the website should be provided so that people know where they are when, you know, when they're coming. Um, and sure. also photos or videos of potential barriers such as steep slopes or narrow doorways or anything like that, just so that people can be aware and they can know what to kind of what to expect when they get there. And it's amazing how much of this information serves all customers. That's that's what gets me. Instead of being just thought of as special mm-hmm. for a person in a wheelchair, a person who's blind or whatever, it serves everyone. Um, getting that kind of information before the visit can be extremely helpful because, unfortunately, you know, you hope that it's going to prevent any nasty surprises once you're there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, you yeah, want them to, you, you want to feel good about it, and them to feel good about it. Exactly. And that feeling of being included and, you know, it, it can be inc- achieved so easily and in so many ways. Um, for example, the report recommends that any photos or videos on the website include people with, you know, visible disabilities so that people mm-hmm. feel represented. And this can send a really clear message about the venue's attitude towards inclusion because it's saying, hey, here are some people that have already come who have disabilities who are just like you. You can come too. Yeah. Yeah. But even better evidence, or I'd say it, it, it helps push this message home, is the attitude of staff when you're at the venue, right? Them being trained and understanding and empathizing with disability and inclusion. Exactly. And this is something that we've talked about before. Um, and this is reflected by the recommendation that websites advertise what disability awareness training their front of house staff actually have had. I always find it fascinating when you feel like somebody's using the clock in a way of directions or something. Ah, they've had the sensitivity training. So (laughs) have there been a lot of indications that staff have generally had this kind of training? Well, 21% of sites with access information mentioned staff had attended one or more disability awareness courses. Um, This compares to just 10% of 2018. So we've got a way to go, but we are getting there. Yeah. Well, it is encouraging, like you're saying, because the numbers are improving, but it still suggests a ton more to do on training and awareness. Yes. And this is very topical in the UK at the moment. I saw a story the other day uh, about a guide dog refusal once again. Um, It's in the news. A recent story involved a guide dog owner being thrown out of a hotel late at night because staff simply didn't believe that her guide dog was a real guide dog. They thought Mm. it was a fake. Oh, my God. Wow. I just, I always say it's 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 amazing to me how our societies always choose to think someone's trying to get away with something. Always the first thought, yep. not the this is a legitimate dog. Look, or trying to be yep. sure, even if you're dead, what harm if you take the person at at face value, even if you're a little unsure because the the behavior or whatever that makes you even think such a thing is different, which still shows tons of ignorance, right? Tons. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and yeah. always and, looking and, you know, for the worst. Than, yeah, absolutely. It's it's very sad. It's well, I'd say it's better to risk having somebody that doesn't need one than actually throwing out somebody who is legitimate and is blind and is late at night and doesn't have anyone to look after them. You yeah, know? and is going to go straight to the media because we need to hear about it. Like exactly. honestly. Well, it just kills me that you're more worried about the faker. So the faker gets away with something. (gasps) Who's wrong here? Uh, The faker? Yeah. You know, or would you rather throw that person out who actually is legitimate? So that really does suggest more disability awareness in many walks of life. 
Yes, I, I think it does. Um, but hopefully the Heritage Access Report will help raise awareness among museums and heritage sites. And apart from the main report, benchmarking reports, which uh, ranks the results of each site against one another, um, that's been produced. And so that's relative performance can be assessed. So you can look at the, the comparison and you can really see who's who's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Fern, you mentioned like, you know, how discouraging it can be when you don't feel included in these circumstances, right? And especially when it comes to art and culture, museums, uh, galleries, etc. But have you ever consulted on something like this? Do you find that there are more people looking for uh, disability consultants and at least trying to make the spaces and the art more accessible? There are certainly people out there who are, um, and I am part of a, a, a sort of a, an organisation that reaches out for um, consultancy for exactly that. But I mm-hmm. do feel like we've said, you know, there is definitely more that needs to be done because a lot of the time, I mean, I, I know I always bang on about this, but the practical access things sometimes are thought about, but not often enough, clearly, as this report shows. But it's the emotional side, you know, how does that yeah. leave you feeling? Because ultimately, when you go home, even if you're, you know, you're not going to fall over something or whatever, you're still feeling less than or your self-esteem's been knocked or you're feeling not included, which is horrible. And you've got to live with that. And that's why it's really important that this information is being spread, the awareness. How can we find out more? So um, you can just go to vocalize.co.uk and click on the research tab at the top of the page there. And that will take you to a page that includes the report. So, as we've been talking about, how accessible is the report? Well, it is very accessible indeed. I'm glad you asked that, uh, Kelly. It's available in a range of formats, including in audio. And in fact, if you listen to the audio version, you may just hear a British voice that's rather familiar to you. It's not, uh, there's no prizes for guessing who that might be, right? Because she might be joining us right now. Yeah, I I think you might be on the right track there, Ramya. Um, But if you do need a clue, she does sound an awful lot like the host of Interview. You know that amazing podcast about dating and relationships? Uh, Folks, they call that a plug, a plug, a plug, a plug. Yeah, you know, I just thought I'd get it in. That's awesome. (laughs) Fern Lollop joins us every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, Fernie. You have a lovely show. Coming up next on the program, uh, Christian Shaw, founder of the Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter, joins us to tell us all about this newsletter, how it got started, and this is for people with any disabilities out there. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. So when you get time, maybe on the weekend and you want to binge the show, you just want to catch up on what's happening on Kelly and Company, use the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher to the program. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the show in its complete Kelly and Company podcast form. We even toss on an audio vanity card there. No matter what you want to do, ladies and gentlemen, in catching up with the program, keeping current, or just having a little fun re-listening to a segment or two or your favorite contributor, use the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate it. While you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. I'm Kelly McDonald in the London, Ontario home studio. 
Ramya Muthan in the home studio in Toronto. We're going to chat a little bit about a great initiative for people with disabilities. Uh, Christian Shaw is the founder of the Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter. And this is a newsletter, he says, for people with any kind of disability. And he's joining us along with his mom, Linda, to talk about his dream publication intended to uh, remove stigma about all disabilities. I'm very excited to talk about this with you, Christian, thank you for coming on Kelly and Company. You're welcome. And Linda, thank you for joining us also. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. So, Christian, like I said, this is really interesting. But um, before we get to know about the newsletter, can you talk to us a bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and tell us, if you don't mind, a bit about your disability? I have developmental disabilities and an anxiety disorder. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And, and you're also on the autistic spectrum. And I also have some autistic tendencies. Got it. Okay. And why did you start this Kamloops Advocacy Newsletter? Because people gave a lot to me, and I wanted to help out society by giving back all I was helped since I was a kid and during my adulthood, and I wanted to return the favor and support people with diverse abilities or disabilities just like I was supported when I was younger and during my adulthood. Mm -hmm. So it was really important to you, that support you received when you were younger. Can you talk a little bit more about that kind of support? Who... And Um, how did they support you? By support workers. Okay. And and this is, you know, with uh, education, with... uh, We supported him um, to try to help him with social skills. They supported him with um, uh, going out and because he didn't have many friends. And... uh, They um, helped him to get started with the newsletter and to try to fulfill any goal that he had. They were there to support him with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Christian, I can definitely relate to social skills support. Uh, As a person who identifies as having low vision, uh, it's really important to get to know other people who have disabilities, um, but also to talk to people in general about your disabilities. So that's incredible because now you're as you said giving back to the community uh, with this newsletter so tell us more about the newsletter and the themes that you cover um i cover all different holidays like christmas hanukkah kwanzaa i i even talk about different seasons and i even interviewed reality TV stars with Down syndrome who are from a TV show called Born This Way mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, that and sounds even amazing. Mental health com- and, and even mental health comedians. Okay. Do you have any uh, names you want to shout out, the comedians? Um, I can't remember. Okay. That was a while ago. I can't remember. No problem. It's a teaser. We'll we'll go out and check it out, right? To see who you featured. Yeah. 
So yeah. it, it sounds like you have um you've talked to some and, very and influential pe- people. And, yeah, and also people thought I couldn't read or write, but I proved them wrong. So ask my mom about that. Okay. Yeah, we will, Linda, because that's really interesting. Uh, your thoughts on what it was like to as a as a parent, first of all, of Christian to to hear that you know your your child would not be educated or literate. Well, it uh, was frustrating because the teachers didn't even try to teach him. They said that uh, oh, the doctors in the report said that he would never be able to read or write and and he'd never be able to retain what he learned, so they didn't even try to teach him. And it was true at first that he did not uh, retain what he learned, but I kept working with him with phonics, and and uh, he wouldn't retain it, and I'd keep going on and on and on. And then he'd retain a little bit, and then, you know, it, it would kind of go back and forth. And uh, finally, in grade six, at the end of the year, uh, a teacher, one teacher in his whole years of schooling, uh, decided to get him some um, books with short vowel sounds and long vowel sounds from mm. Costco and uh, taught the kids. And they had to keep it secret. And then at the end of the year, uh, when all the parents came to meet the teachers and stuff, they had the kids read for us as a surprise. Wow. And that was the first time that he started to really read at the end of grade six. And um, then uh, he, but he's had a computer too since he was seven years old. And the computer kind of was teaching him a little bit as well. And um, so then, uh, but then after grade six, grade seven, teachers never continued. And this teacher had moved away, so um, I just continued with the books, with the um, Costco books, uh, to teach him. I also sent him to Sylvan for four months mm-hmm. um, for him to learn some math skills as well as reading skills. And uh, he improved tremendously. And uh, by the time he was um, an adult and out of school, he was a fluent reader, writer, and speller. That's amazing because really so many people, like you said, oh, no, no bother, and, you know, one person. And then congratulations to you guys, both of you, for following through and doing that work to say, you know, this is important and this this is something I'm sure for you, Christina, you feel so great because it empowers you to do the things you want to do, such as the self-advocate. I want to know where you guys came up with the name for, for the paper. I'm, I'm really curious in how that conversation happened, Christiane. Did it something that just came to you, or did you talk to Mom about it, or who? I talked with different support people, and they helped me start it. So how about the but name? You, you made up the name yourself, though, didn't you? I made up the name myself by... I live in Kamloops, and also... Um, I'm a self-advocate. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it sounds like the conversations you have with people, they're talking to about their own journey, the, the, and they're sharing for most of us to be able to learn kind of and be inspired for our journey and advocate because I think it's such an important thing for ourselves. So wonderful name, and I, I wondered if that's where it came from. Linda, I want to know about your thoughts on how things have unfolded 
with the newsletter. Um, I mean, having guests and handling all that work and, you know, just I'm certainly sure a source of pride for yourself. I haven't had to really do anything. Christian's done it. (laughs) Christian's done it all, um, as well as a worker, um, a support worker of his, um, taught him how to uh, do the template of the newsletter, how to, uh, I don't know any of that. Like, I mean, you know, if he had to, you know, if he got sick and asked me to do the newsletter, I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's um, he's the one that's been taught and knows how to do it. And his um, uh, support workers have um, helped to, you know, just give him ideas on what to do if he gets with ideas or things like that. He also has an advisory support group that he runs himself um, where he has a bunch of people all get together about every three months or so, and uh, they give him ideas on what to do in the newsletter each month, um, different storylines and, and stuff like that. And so he basically takes charge of that by himself. Once in a while, he'll ask me to edit something for him, and I will. (laughs) Um, But there's another lady uh, support worker of his that that mainly does the editing, but I'll help out a little bit. Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure, Christian, that you know, your workers have, have really enjoyed themselves getting involved, find it inspiring to kind of mess around with the media like this, because that's exactly, I find, when you get bit by the media bug, you have a really great time, don't you? Yeah. Being able to learn things, find it's out about interesting. Okay. Yes. Interesting. What part for you? Yeah. What do you find the most interesting? Interviewing different people and having different themes. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, we have to get running, both of you. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk. In closing, though, any final thoughts, Christina, that you want to share with us, please? Nope. No, you're good? <laughs> I, You've said it all. I, I, I just came up with something. I am grateful for my readers. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And how about you, Linda? Yeah, I've. Um, it's just amazing the support that he's received throughout the years um, when he has his mind set on doing something and he people teach him what to do or how to do it. He just runs with it and he just, he's doing it all by himself now yeah. other than the editing. Can we mm-hmm. find out how to get our hands on it? Where can we find the paper? Online, all, all over the internet as well as on Facebook. You just have to write in Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter, and it will come up. If you um, put in, um, even on YouTube, if you put in Christian's name, um, but it's spelled different, it's K-R-Y-S-T-I-A-N, Shaw, um, it will have a documentary there about his life and uh, how he was born special needs and and what he's done throughout his life. And uh, it's very interesting information there. Okay. Well, you both are such hard workers, and I'm really, really glad that people are checking out this newsletter. Christian, Linda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay, thank you. Bye. Having a care. Thank you.
Bye. We were speaking with Christian Shaw and his mother, Linda, about the Kamloops Self-Advocate newsletter, which you can check out online. Curious Minds is up next hour. Also, joining us on the roundtable conversation is our contributor, Margaret Weldon. But up next, it's the Thursday Buzz with the Shack, Bill Shackleton. Ooh, it's that time, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on our program to tell you a little bit about potential winning prizes. Always a great time, especially, uh, well, at this time of the year. Our friends at the Tripping on Air podcast are getting into the holiday spirit. They're giving away a ton of prizes as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Go to ami.ca slash to a contest to review the list of prizes that are available to you and enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11.59 p.m. ET. So get in there, folks. Please, one set of entries per day, folks. And winners will be contacted via email and listed on the uh, Tripping On Air Instagram page. I'm Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan, also my co-host out there in Toronto at the home studio. This is the second hour of the program where we welcome in to kick it off on a Thursday, Bill Shackleton. He's here with the buzz. Shack, welcome back. And we're here again, and we actually do have a sort of a gift-related thing coming up. Um, nice. Okay. We got a rock and roll article coming up. Hey, um, And so two money-related articles. But oh. first one is first one is cool. Okay. You like rock and roll music? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Japanese Japanese music stars form band to make the world rock from Associated Press. So you've got four um, musicians from four different groups in Japan. They have formed a group called the Last Rocksters. They want to preserve <laughs> rock and roll music. Um, they are getting up in age and... I don't know what you guys think about music, but back in my day, um, there was country and Western, there was folk, there was rock, and there was jazz. And now it does seem to me that music has become so convoluted. There's indie rock, folk rock. I mean, what is real rock and roll music? Does it even exist today? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do they do they mean chubby checker style or... Led Zeppelin, I'm not sure. Yeah. I would think these these guys are kind of that Led Zeppelin or maybe the the, um, uh, Death Leopard, that kind, maybe even harder. You know, they may be talking more of the Ted Nugent and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. But they feel that the the rock and roll music is becoming, like, it doesn't exist anymore. It's so... Yeah. It's blended. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's morphed into so many things. Now there's electronic music, there's industrial, you know what I mean? Eh? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what well, do you people think, are definitely Bill? into it because they've got concerts all over the place now. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yes. And, and Billy, what do you think? Like to you, rock is the seventies rock, eighties uh, rock is the, you know, like, like, are you looking at ZZ top or harder? That 70s you and 80s. Right. 70s and eighties. Hmm. Um, I'm really not much into the music scene anymore. Um, after that nineties, when it started, I just, I don't know. I just lost track of it, lost touch. Hmm. And you were always a music fan though, before that. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, it, it, but these, these, these guys, 
a couple of them or one guy has come close to death a couple of times. So I, you know, I guess they feel that they're, they, they, they don't have much time left as the saying goes. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, sorry, go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's really awesome because they, obviously this is a huge passion of theirs. They know that they're older and potentially the music is dying out because like you said, Billy, there's just more fusion now and, and, anything today is just not what it was when these guys were growing up. Right. So they want to preserve a bit of that. And I think what, what I like is they've said they want to preserve the spirit of rock and roll. So they're not saying, Hey, bring rock and roll back. And you know, we can't stand this. They're just, they're, they're kind of catering to those of us who grow up with it and, and like bring it back for us. Yeah. Maybe get young, more younger people involved in, in that sort of thing. True. Nostalgia for sure. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Especially when you think of anyone wanting to preserve something. All right, sir. Next item. Now we're going to get to this one. Consumer groups want grocers to ditch digital only um, deals. No way. Um, uh, Coming from Associated Press, there's a group of consumers in the United States that basically want stores to ditch digital coupons. Now, the 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 argument there is that there are people who, seniors included, who don't know how to use the smart technology, that don't have computers, they don't have internet access. So they want stores to um, ditch those coupons because they feel that they're being discriminated against. And I get that. But what about us? us? We need that digital access. I mean, Way back in the day when I used to do my shopping at Giant Tiger and IGA, there wasn't any digital access. So how are you going to read the, 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 the coupons? I mean, we need that access. And the idea of taking the digital coupons down is just not going not gonna to go. It's just, it's just no way they can do that. Yeah, I mean, very interesting. And it, it is true. It, it would be very difficult, wouldn't it? It it would be. I mean, um, the what what the stores are saying is that you can take the circulars to the cashier, um, but but a lot of the personnel don't know that you can that they can do that. A lot of customers don't know you can use the circulars. So yeah, I it's 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 a no brainer to take that away. Um, we need more digital access. I mean, let's face it. I was going to say, of, yeah, that's I'm kind of like on the right? other side of this thing where yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Bring more digital. Stop with the paper use and the plastic. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, but I, I get it. You know, not everybody shops the same way. So what you present for somebody should be available for somebody else in another form, perhaps. And yep. honestly, and I, this might be sounding very ignorant, but the way I think about it is there's deals all the time. There's sales all the time. Like if it's not digital today, it'll be digital tomorrow, like the very next day in, you know, another aisle. So I don't know. Are you really saving? Are they really getting more sales on digital and not can't tell we we had to know this was going to happen right there was going to be the turn because everything rolled out so fast they stepped up we originally heard digital sales doing things this way ordering stuff you know all this stuff was going to be something that was going to unfold before us over the next 10 years pandemic come along 
fast forward eight years, basically, to, to where we were for the beginning. So now it's the let's walk things back a little bit because this is maybe a problem here. And of course, post pandemic, we're running into other areas, fuel costs, everything that wasn't to be necessarily a problem or be accounted for in a in a smooth ramp up to to doing digital online and and so on in in that capacity with groceries and so many other things medications i still sort of whoa yeah. really yeah oh yeah yeah uh where do you want to go now sir the last one yeah I, we want to do this one less bang for your buck use up those gift cards Seriously. come from yeah ctv news so th- i'm going to give you guys a number Canadians are sitting on over $30 million worth of gift cards. So you may have a drawer full of them, or you may not. If you're like me, you lose them, because I do. Um, so and a, a financial expert is warning that you better use those gift cards up. So a lot of people forget they even have them. So what's happening is that because of inflation, like, like if you get a gift card from a restaurant that might be worth $50, by the time, if you don't use it right away, it may it's not going to be worth $50. It's going to be worth much less. Um, the other thing is some of these gift cards, and I've never seen this one. Maybe you guys have. Some of them have maintenance fees, and some of them have dormancy fees, mm-hmm. which yeah. I, I knew nothing about. I didn't know anything about until a friend sent me a message one day, and he was so upset because it had one of those maintenance fees or something oh, yeah. on it, and it really messed him up from being able to utilize it. He had no idea of what was going on, what happened, um, and, and it frustrated. And I again, I have no idea really what it is, why, and what else other than, you know, let's see if we can make extra money if that's what it does. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, you know, they said that you shouldn't have, especially when someone ha- buys a gift certificate, you know, to give to someone as a gift. Um, yeah. There shouldn't be any way you could ever say to the person, well, this expired. You know, whether they got it four years ago, five years ago, and they're coming in to use it as long as your your store is still there. If it's a credit, you're obviously going to only give at the, the credit level. But if it's an actual thing, you, you shouldn't want to do that unless it's out of circulation, not made anymore or something like that. So I, I get it. You know, I, I think that sometimes you find these little hidden things in there and you just wonder, what is the reason? How do you get out of honoring this with this little fee or this this stipulation? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but what you should do with gift cards, what the article is recommending is that you guys give them as gifts. Um, it doesn't cost you any money. And I know how yeah, popular gift cards are. You know, I mean, uh, if you're not going to use them, that's right. give them to me. I'll use them. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's true, and then it's also true in the other sense, too. But you give someone a gift card, make sure they use it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Not to, more to knock on people's doors and ask them about to, gift cards. People but. more open now to receive gift cards as gifts. Like, yeah, you know, if, if you say to someone, because hey, I can I get a gift get card for anything. Right. Like, we're talking about experiences and such. You can get gift cards to experiences, right? Like, it's just all kind of falling in this category of cash. get upset <laughs> if, you, if they say, oh, well, they'll think I didn't think about them. You know, didn't yeah. consider. Didn't well, just break, add it to something cute, or or at least think about the right store to get the gift from. Pro- yeah, of from. Okay, definitely these. Um, you can tell if someone gifts you, you know, those multiple store places. Yes, like yes. A, the ones that have several places, whether it's restaurants or Best exactly. Buy, other connected. Yeah, those yeah. ones you can tell it was a kind of default pit. <laughs> I don't want to make a mistake, so here, here's twelve different places <laughs> you could go to. 
I think about the same yeah. with Apple gift cards now because what does oh, that I even know. mean? You know, you could spend it on anything. But yeah. hey, I'm not complaining. No, well, that's right. No. Yeah. Bill, our hands are out. Shaq, thanks a lot. <laughs> we'll uh, enjoy yourself. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk later. Bill Shackleton joins us for the buzz Wednesday through Friday. Margaret will be pinch hitting it for him tomorrow. And I just want to correct something, folks. The website for the contest, by the way, go to ami.ca slash TOA contest, as in the letters there, folks. TOA contest for tripping on air. We'll be right back with more after this right here on Kelly and Company. Remember the settle back because you know you can listen to Kelly and Company in comfort from right in front of your television. Bell customers, Channel 49, and Kojiko, Ontario. You guys can find us on Channel 596 to settle back and listen in comfort. But you can also visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your particular area in case I haven't covered that area right now. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. On the third Thursday of every month, we like to check in with Christine Malik. We call it Curious Minds, and we get through all kinds of topics here. Today, we're talking about the agricultural revolution, okay? Agricultural revolution. And Chris, you say this just doesn't come up every day. So why are we talking about the agricultural revolution? (laughs) (laughs) Because she knows you you wanted to go to the Royal Winter Fair, that's why. Yeah, I know. I'm bummed out about that. Whatever. It's fine. Oh, see, I just wanted to give you guys the chance to say agricultural revolution. In your yeah, no case, kidding. Yeah, it's all about you. You don't say yeah, it often thanks. here, that's for sure. Right, right. So the reason is um, I run a group through the CNIB called the Curiosity Club, and it's uh, an opportunity for blind adults who have learning experiences that are inclusive. And so uh, this Tuesday online, on November 22nd, uh, Tony Davis, who's an emeritus professor of geography from U of T, will be speaking about this very topic, the agricultural revolution. So his interest is the ways in which humans and the natural world have affected each other over time. And this is a topic that I just love to think about and wonder about and one of the biggest uh you know pivots in that relationship happened uh in the agricultural revolution and so he's going to be talking uh for about an hour and then there will be a q and a and uh it's open the event's open to all uh but it being a cnib program it is geared towards people who are blind or low vision which means uh you know you don't have to have your camera on you can be in your day pajamas and uh you can tune in. This guy's super smart, very engaging. Um, he spoke a few months ago for the group about some of the history of the South Pacific, and it was totally riveting. I could have talked to him all night. Yeah, I find so many of those conversations just blow you away. Like, it really, just the things, and the right speaker places you right there. So, um, Chris, in 100 words or less, what is the agricultural revolution? Oh, challenge. It's the, right, I know. It's the period of time where humans stopped being hunter-gatherers who would roam around and kill their, kill their food and, and gather 
uh, produce from the land. And they started being settled in one spot and cultivating crops on purpose. Uh, and so um, it's uh, it happened in different places at different times, but sort of roughly about 10,000 years ago. And um, it becomes important because we talk about historic versus prehistoric. And what we mean by that is written records versus non-written records. And the good thing about written records is that you can read them and we can look back and know what people were thinking three, 4,000 years ago. So you can't really have written records unless you have a stable population in terms right. of location because carrying scrolls or tablets around with a roaming band of hunter-gatherers is just not that practical. So every aspect of society changed when people started staying in one place. Uh, and so you you are able to develop what we call, and I'm making air quotes here, civilization, which that's is a complicated subject you, on its own. Oh, exactly. You become almost from nomads. That's the impression. Obviously, you probably had your own roots, your territory that you, you covered, <laughs> but you almost feel like that you go from nomads to laying down roots or, or getting a life. Like it was more to <laughs> you know going and hunting and killing all the time. Like we only do that half the time now, and we're going to stay in this property of so big a size and do it. it, it it's a very interesting yeah. way of of noticing the shift. Yes, yes, and when you do that, a lot of things happen. So as I said, you get the chance to be stable in one place, and you can make things like stable buildings, and but you can also. Yeah. Uh, raise livestock and so you get a reliable meat supply instead of relying on whatever nature provides you you can uh, the term is husband you can husband the resources so you you right. breed animals for whatever desirable characteristics you want so your food supply ends up being much more stable um, you end up having a lot more children for various reasons, but you also end up with a lot more disease. And there are some thinkers who say the agricultural revolution is the worst thing that ever happened to humans. Oh and so very even complex. now, or, even now, well, <laughs> you see what happens with what it's kind of what are the problems we face now with the, with the environment and the climate yes. crisis are kind of the agricultural revolution, revolution mm -hmm. run amok. Like it's just gone it's it's taken a good idea and Gone exploited the heck out of it. Yeah. yeah, and so if you look at the world and the problems we have now, they're sort of traceable back to the agricultural revolution. So I'm not going to I'm no expert and I'm not going to say oh well, this was a terrible uh, thing that we did, but you can see the roots of a lot of problems mm. we have yeah, based even in this idea that even the soil business, Go right? Ahead. The first thing you would have noticed is the fact that knowing we have to switch fields because we've used this field for this agricultural effort for so many years. Now we have to give it a break. Those were the things that standing put or standing pat and using one area. Yes. Those were those signs of the things that, oh, I, I guess we can wear this out or I guess we can abuse what we're doing. And yes, and wear, yeah, exactly, wear out. And it also gets into concepts of ownership and yes, is territory. the concept of ownership helpful? Is that helpful or is that harmful to human development? And so that's another big source of controversy. The lack of about, sharing. Yeah, the lack of com communalism. And so a lot of people yeah. also feel that hierarchy, like the pow a power structure develops when you have a sedentary population that stays in one place. You get 
then you're you're able to have like a king. Whereas when no you're kidding. traveling around, yeah, hunter gatherer, you just don't have stuff. You can't t- carry a lot of stuff, so you can't have crowns and scepters. And so it changes the way people thought about power and who was in control. And Kelly, as you said, conflict. It it opens the field for conflict as well. For sure. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, animals and such. Anything more on that part of it? Um, it's an interesting one because I was thinking about this around chickens and I thought, why do chickens, this is dumb, why do chickens lay eggs? Why do chickens put so much energy into a pointless endeavor, which is to lay a big fat egg every day with no little chicken in it? There's no advantage to the chicken. It's a huge energy drain. But what I realized is we bred them to do this. That's why chickens in the wild wouldn't just lay an egg every single day. And so... All of the, so many of the animals we have, like cows and horses and chickens, they, they've come from our intentional interference with the breeding of animals for certain traits. And again, it makes a, a one population more susceptible to disease, uh, which again is, is part of the human problem too, is you have sedentary populations and you can get viruses that mm. go wild and, and spread really quickly through through a sedentary population. Uh, so there's, it's so complex. There's, uh, there's, and gender fits in here too. Geez, I could go on about this all day, but no kidding. Um, it was thought to be women who were initially the gatherers. Now, whether that's true or not, that's also debatable, but I've wondered so much about how power, the, the gender dynamic changed when the agricultural revolution happened. And at first it may have seemed like, you know, women were running the show, but once you get into things like possession and inheritance, you get into things like paternity. You want to know whose kid it is, and mm-hmm. it kind of leads to patriarchy and control of, of women's bodies. So it, it covers, you know, this topic, like two words, agricultural revolution. It encompasses kind of every aspect of civilization. Yep. And whether you think civilization is a good thing or not, uh, it can really be traced back to this major shift that happened about 10,000 years ago, which... Uh, uh, maybe climate driven. I don't know enough about it yet, but on the 22nd, uh, hopefully Tony Davis will fill in some of the gaps around how and why uh, this process happened. Yeah. Tell us how that's going to be run. Is it Q&A? Is it pretty interactive? How is the the session going to go through? Um, He likes to present. A lot of presenters do this. It's kind of interesting. I've had several presenters and they kind of prefer to wind them up and let them go. So they'll talk for maybe an hour and then there'll be a, a Q&A afterwards. And so uh, typically there's maybe 15 people, 15, 20 people in the group. Uh, and it's a lovely group, uh, very smart, engaged, uh, interested, experienced people with lots of world experience. So uh, we listen for an hour and then there's an open forum for a question and answer. So it's a Zoom call, so uh, raise hand or just, just shout out. And um, the, uh, the fun part, well, there's so many fun parts, but in the, it's a group of blind people. So uh, he's not going to be showing PowerPoints or saying, you can see by this diagram, you know, there's just yeah. none of that. So <laughs> yeah. it's, an, it's an environment that feels very welcoming for, for blind and low vision uh, folk. And so it runs for 90 minutes. It's a... Uh, Tuesday, November 22nd, 6 p.m. to 7.30 Eastern uh, via Zoom. 
Fantastic. Okay, so we've already discussed, as you said, you could talk about this particular subject and, and all the things that spin off of it for hours. Why is it so interesting to you personally? I think I grew up assuming that agricultural revolution, how could that be bad? What's, what's like, how is that not a good thing? I like hot and cold running water and central heating and grocery stores and uh, all of the benefits of civilization. And as I got to read more and think more, uh, I could, I could start to understand how, geo, how destructive some of those processes were to ecologies and, you know, inevitably to leading to sort of leading to climate change if you don't do it right, which clearly we have not uh, done it right. But it it changed every aspect of how humans lived together from gender to power structures to ecology to how many children you had to how much control you had over how many children you have uh, to what you value. And so to me, it became a little like religion. It's like one of those topics where you can talk about anything within that framework of the agricultural revolution. So it's a, it's a topic that has always really interested me. So to be able to hear from uh, an expert who's studied the interactions of humans and the natural world is, is really exciting for me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge teaser on the kinds of things that will be covered during the, um, during the event, the lecture. But I'm definitely so curious about the societal the social aspects of it right you talked about the hierarchy and the the psychological sociological effects of being um stationary and and not moving around so much and the violence as you mentioned Kels so that part of it really like what we live in right now this current snapshot in time is a buildup of all these years and decades and centuries of the agricultural revolution um and I'm so I'm fascinated by that aspect of it and how much that yeah. weighs in on all the rest of it. And yeah, and where where did it start? And so mm-hmm. a, a little teaser is that if you, if a, a lot of people probably know this, if a woman has a baby and keeps nursing the baby for a, you know, a couple of years, she's probably not going to get pregnant right away. But if you stop nursing because you have, yeah. say, cow's milk or goat's milk, if you give your baby milk from an animal and stop nursing it, you probably will get pregnant sooner. So there's just one example that has huge impacts mm-hmm. for women. Uh, more children, more pregnancies, more risk, shorter life expectancies, and all of the things that go along with that. So every aspect of life, uh, you know, changed when we started staying in one place and cultivating cultivating food. My goodness. All right, the 22nd, people, put it in your calendar. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Talk later. Christine Malik on Curious Minds. We're talking about the agricultural revolution. Third Thursday of the month is when we have Curious Minds and check out the uh, Curiosity Club lecture on October 22nd. Okay, folks, we'll be back in a couple of moments. We have a few topics to put on the table. That means it's Thursday's Roundtable. And joining us this week on the conversation is uh, in the know contributor, Margaret Weldon. She'll be with us momentarily here on Kelly and Company. (laughs) 
It's that time, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for the Kelly and Company Roundtable. Usually a little oval. But again, not being in the studio anymore, I kind of sometimes forget. So somebody could almost say, oh, it's a square table conversation. And I might even buy it. Ramya Muthan, my co-host for the program, Kelly McDonald here. We're hosting Kelly and Company as we do weekdays. And we always bring on a guest for this. We bring on our In the Know contributor, Margaret Weldon, to join us today. Margaret, thank you for being back with us for the roundtable. Thank you. It's great to be back. And actually, I'm at a rectangle table myself. So okay. there you All go. Okay. All right. Well, make sure <laughs> you grip too. it and get ready. Uh, I am too. Uh, a desk. Wonderful desk. Stand-up desk. Um, this is an open conversation on a variety of subjects. I grab them up and bring them forward, or whoever our host is, because now we get different people hosting it now as we move on through the six years we've done this. And in the last uh, few years, Ramya has hosted, Danielle McLaughlin has hosted. Has Richardson hosted, or yep. I can't remember. Has yes, he? he did once. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. intentionally, not by mistake. Not because no, no, Ramya left. <laughs> he has No, I, I think I did one with him once, come to think about it, but I, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, it's always a scary thing, or used to be, folks, when we started doing it, because, of course, I keep the subjects to myself, and I remember asking staff members at AMI, hey, will you come on the round here when we first started? Why? Well, to, to talk to it. About what? Oh, no, it's a surprise. Uh, I think I have something else to do at that time. I didn't tell you the time yet. I, I'm pretty sure I'm busy. Uh, let's start off today talking about Disney, folks. They've updated one of its popular attractions with brand new characters. In an effort to have a more accurate representation of diversity around the world, the Disneyland Park has added two new characters in wheelchairs to its iconic It's a Small World attraction. One is in the Latin American section of the boat ride. The other appears in the finale. The animatronic dolls are among 300 costume dolls representing singing children from many nations. The ride opened at the Anaheim Park in 1966. It's the first time in Disneyland's 67-year history that an attraction has included characters in wheelchairs. Disney is the parent company of ABC News. Todd Ant, ABC News. I always chuckle when they slip that in there, right? <laughs> you know, uh, this radio station is owned by Rogers. Um, Margaret, your feeling about this when you hear it, and I, I know we're always looking to see somebody we relate to, see people that should be included just as much as anyone else because we are in society. Um, what do you think on this move, what they're trying to do? Actually, I I think it is uh, long overdue, to be quite honest with you. You know, people with disabilities do exist, and I think the sooner that children get to understand that, yeah, there are going to be kids out there who can't walk or see or talk or or hear or whatever, um, you you know, but yet they like to have fun just like everybody else. I think it's a good thing. I always look for what I consider the normal things. You know, you walk down a street in any town, city, you're going to see different people wearing different clothes, different heights, different, you know, hopefully, you know, different uh, skin colors, uh, just speaking different languages. You're going to hear that, eating different kinds of food. And it doesn't, it would be wonderful if none of it was ever a shock to you, Ramya, that it was so normal. And, you know, I think it's great to see the representation. I know here they're also trying to make sure that different minorities um, or, or different cultures are mm-hmm. also reflected here so people see um, different people, as Margaret said, well overdue. Um, and I know we all hope for a world where basically you don't notice these things, as we say in theater, you know, where, where you're colorblind. 
Yeah, I do have to shout or call out, sorry, call out Disney on this because it feels like they've had the world at their fingertips for so long, right? Historically, they've been doing things forever, whether it be themed parks or uh, movies and television or stories, like whatever, right? They've, they've had us always looking for the next thing and uh, awaiting the next big thing. But the representation has not been diverse. Like we know that. Especially know- in a small world. Yeah. Yeah, like they, they've they always made it so, uh, we've used Disney as predominant examples of not inclusion in so many contexts, right? And representation. So yes, it's a definitely long time overdue and uh, we need more of it. And frankly, there's no excuse for it there not to be as much representation. For a company so, this big, so well-funded, so monopolying, <laughs> I don't think that's a word, but you know, it's so huge and has so much impact, there's no excuse at all. So is there normal, ladies, a normal out of another era? And this is where they've stood pat, kind of keeping it, well, we've been doing all the great things, we've had so many things for children, you know, we've always been warm and welcoming, uh, especially when we started out back in the 1930s. I sometimes feel that you, you, you make such a splash when you come on board. You do the right things. You have all these different types of movies targeting different types of subjects, different characters. But then how do you top that? Well, you, you, you're you supposed to keep current in my mind. And part of that is the reflection of our audience has grown. Disney is no longer United States, Canada watching on. Uh, th- there's people all over the world. And you're saying the world's small. So many of us come together. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of find it ironic, but I almost feel not not that I always say, oh, well, these people are doing this intentionally. I, I think you tend to you get in your ways. This is who you are. This is your identity. Yeah, but that's an identity out of the 1940s or 50s or 60s. Right. Oh, yeah. Things have changed, haven't they? Well, look outside the world. It's it's not as small. It's, you know, it's tighter. But so I, I have to wonder how much of that, Margaret, Maybe that feel, because a lot of what we talk about before we see these changes are what you remember as a kid. And as a kid, a lot of that was older thinking, too. But then again, you have to look at the people who ran it, right? Like, I think over, I think it's like anything over time. Um, you know, once upon a time, women didn't work. But now, you know, they, they are a big part of the workforce, right? And, and But I think it's 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 just depends, you know, whoever takes over is going to want to add their own um, I want to say twist, but I don't know if that's the right word. You know what I mean? Like their own characteristics. And maybe, you know, it, it's it's partly a wrong reason for doing what they did. But, no, I, I still think it's 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 long overdue. Well, and I think so many people get in the, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, but if no one's telling you, calling you out on it because you slip through the cracks when others don't, other organizations, yeah. other companies, yeah, okay, maybe it's because, oh, but it's Disney. Yeah, but but yet you're jumping on Warner Brothers for this or, or so-and-so. Uh, I want to sort of stay on the same subject. One of Hollywood's top Christmas movie stars, we had a very interesting conversation with Greg David the other day about how many Christmas movies are made, and we mentioned some of the stars that uh, are signing on to do 30 Christmas movies you know, in, in, in a year or what have you. Uh, well, not a year, but in, in a career working with creating these movies. But one of them is responding to a recent Christmas controversy. 
Clash this week, the actress and chief creative officer of the Great American Family Channel told the Wall Street Journal that the network's extensive list of holiday movies wouldn't feature any LGBTQ couples, that they'll, quote, keep traditional marriage at the core. Many called that regressive and discriminatory. And in a news statement, Burray says as a devoted Christian, she loves all people, and the media is seeking to divide us by fanning the flames of conflict and hate. She also says people of all identities and ethnicities have and will continue to contribute to the network. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. So, Rami, do we go back to more, maybe not necessarily going as far as to say you're fanning the flames of hate and stuff like that, like we've seen some of the the flames fanned with the Kyrie Irving remarks recently where more people are speaking out and almost giving license to people to, oh, well, if this person's saying it, I can join in and be heard too on my platform saying this and that. Or are we really, again, seeing some an, a, a genre that has been able to be what it's been and that we tune into as we spoke with Greg about for that comfort of the hot chocolate, the picking the Christmas tree and same storyline. You know, I think that when what Greg really was drilling uh, as, as a message of that conversation yesterday was that times are changing. We need more representation. And that's just it. So if people feel like, oh, no, we're just creating conflict for conflict's sake, I think that's rubbish. And that's putting it politely, um, because if there's if there are issues happening where people like we know how it is firsthand experience, right? We as people with disabilities. blind people not being represented Thank you. in these same That's the movies. first thing he said, right? That was the first thing Greg brought up yesterday that yes, there's more representation. Yes, there's diversity, but FYI, there's no blind leads or supporting actors, actresses. So that's gonna hurt. I mean, regardless of whether we think about it in every holiday movie we watch or not, we do recognize it when there is a holiday movie that can that features uh, someone who looks like us, who represents us in some way. So, yeah, if you're just not going to do it because you're using the excuse of, well, we want to keep things traditional. Well, I, I think that's it's absolutely unacceptable. Margaret, we saw this in soap operas for years. They 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 were reluctant to include certain lifestyles, certain, you know, representation primetime because yeah, primetime went first but there were areas where they would not and soap operas always last and we'd say well it's an older audience you know they're a little slower to be comfortable with some of the things that we would want to roll out and bring on and and sometimes now the soap operas are bringing a little bit of stuff where you whoa hold on boy are you guys ever moving faster um i think margaret we're we're this is the kind of thing with these older movies even though we're creating brand new ones today we still stay to the old formula that's right. I, I, I think I think that's true. I, I, I think that's true. But again, I, I do think we, we do need to look at changing times too, just as Ramya has said, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and I think to say, well, you know, no, we're, we're going to stick with the tradition. Well, if you're going to, you know, stick with the tradition, you've also got to learn, or if you, you've also got to learn what other things have changed, not just, um, you. you know, by, bisexual or people with disabilities, but even the family structure has changed now. You have so That's many right. more single That's parent right. families or blended families. And we used to hear know? that, Margaret. That was always the big challenge. It, it, we got to the point with these movies where we've stopped is where there's a lot of singles. People looking for yeah. love. You know, there's not as many. And again, I don't watch a lot of these movies. So some of you out there are going to call me out as, well, well you know. Uh, there doesn't seem to be, to me, to be as many solid family, mother and father and kids go do this and that for Christmas. You'll get some of that, of course, and young people's stories in that at, at Christmas. But there seems to be a lot of the angle of of that single parent because we had to catch up. We had to realize, hey, folks, these are the families we need to see as well. 
Well, and I, and I think when it's when it does come to single parent families, and again, I I have I must admit I don't watch too many of these anymore either. But it seems to me the ones that do have the single families get together with others that have the single families, right? So that in the end, it somehow does become a blended family, right? You know, like 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 maybe you you, you get you know a father who's taken the kids away or a mother mm-hmm. who's you know just lost a husband or something, and she's taking her kids away for Christmas to to a resort or whatever. They meet. And suddenly they become blended. So you're almost describing Brady's 1969 when the show went on TV. So <laughs> that's why I sit but back. That's and, pretty much how these movies work, right? And that's like, where a lot of them, you know, the rush single, was to make single them. Ones were, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's where we were told, folks, this is a representation of the way certain things are in life. Accept it. Okay. With all the upheaval, folks, as we switch gears at Twitter right now, uh, since Elon Musk took over, uh, industry experts are providing suggestions for alternative social media sites. As Elon Musk takes dramatic steps to overhaul Twitter, prompting many subscribers to exit, Mastodon has emerged as a frontrunner among those ready to fly away from the Bluebird platform. They're not tweets on Mastodon, they're toots, and it operates as a decentralized social network made up of independent servers that are able to connect. Clubhouse is another. It's an audio-only app that lets you start or listen in on conversations about things like tech, pro sports, parenting, and black literature. Tumblr and Medium are also options. And also note that Gabor Chelly, a Twitter and Google veteran, has been working on an improved version of Twitter, which might include text and TikTok-style videos. I'm Jackie Quinn. So I've always liked what little involvement I have with Twitter. When I first started on it was because work asked me to. It was back in that time where so many workplaces, media places, sports, and so on, this is what what medium they used to get the word out, where you could go and follow people and maybe get a fast-breaking story about this or follow a subject or learn. So as a person in the media, to, to get people interested, work said to me, can you go out, can you get on here and tweet once or twice a week. I wasn't interested in doing anything with AMI's Facebook at the time um, and and still don't. Twitter is what I enjoy. I certainly don't post as much as I used to, but I did find it a nice resource, especially as a sports fan, to follow trade deadlines and different things like that that interest me and I like to follow that kind of stuff. Not a big, a big fan of it. If it gets too busy, it gets a bit overwhelming for myself. Not sure I would get involved in some of these others, though I really hope things sort out quickly enough, but I think there's going to be a lot of damage to Twitter and what what it was is not ever going to be the same. What I'm curious about um, is the audio aspect of it. I I don't know for either of you if this encourages you more. Ramya, I have to ask, will you seek, if you were looking, and, and I don't know how active you bother with the Twitter or which social media, does the audio component of something like Clubhouse interest you? It does for a bit, but I think that I've mentioned this on the show before. A lot of social media is not long lived. It's very short lived because people get on, then they hop off to some new platform that's out or they find a platform that's been doing it better. Twitter has such a huge advantage because it's been there for a while now. People already trust it. We go to Twitter for very specific reasons, intentions, kinds of posts, kinds of media. And if Elon goes and tweaks the heck out of it and makes it all cluttered or or brings, as we heard in this clip, things, elements from other social media, I just feel like it's going to ruin Twitter. People are not going to stick around to in Twitter 
because it's like TikTok and like Instagram and like Facebook. No, they came to Twitter because of Twitter and we have TikTok for TikTok, you know? It, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go like it. long answer short. I'm not gonna go searching for audio on Twitter. Yeah, and no, and then nothing else to me seems to be like it. Margaret, you you jumped on Twitter. Uh, we talked about hey, we we'd love our contributors to be able to do stuff on there. Um, some of the new stuff. What do we call it, Ramya? Massa Massadon. I think that's right. Yes, that was <laughs> I right. feel like yeah. that's right. Uh, is harder to learn. And Margaret, for you jumping on, is that the kind of thing that pulls you? Twitter, you can sign up and be on it in minutes, literally. Yes, to, to me, that's still the easiest website for me to, to, uh, to, or sorry, easiest social platform for me to maneuver, you know, but, that, but that's me, right? I've tried looking at some of these other ones, and no, this one is still, and, and I think I agree with Rumia here, that if, if he starts um, cluttering it, no, it's, it's not going to go well for Twitter, but I don't know that I would want to go and, and search out any other social platform either. I guess I, I, I would if it came right down to it, but I would rather not. Yeah, that's the way I feel. I'm, I don't know where I would go because I like what little bit I utilize it for, which is more than enough for me. I hate to see so many people who have built careers get have made their, their livelihood on it, who have huge followings because they report on things like that. They're trusted. You know, as soon as this all started and everybody could get a blue badge, you had all these impersonators going on there and messing up people. Margaret, thanks a lot for being with us for the roundtable. Lots of fun. We do this uh, every Thursday on the program. Margaret Weldon, our In the Know contributor. You can hear her every second Wednesday here on Kelly and Company. We'll step aside for a moment. Check out what's on our show tomorrow for the Friday edition as we swing open the gateway to your weekend. And what the gang at Now with Dave Brown has in store for us. want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, on January 9th, please tune in here on AMI-audio and to AMI-tv as Kelly and Romeo debuts on AMI-tv and AMI-audio as a simulcast program. Uh, we will be there hanging out and doing what we do and having the same kind of show with our 30-plus uh, contributors and community reporters. Everybody excited to really get to meet you, maybe a new audience out there, but also just to let you see our smiling faces. That's January 9th when we uh, debut Kelly and Rumya. Another programming note, though, for our show, our last program before we go into that uh, setup phase and everything like that will be December 9th. We haven't really brought it up. I'll try to remind folks so that you know the clock is on um, for episodes of Kelly and Company. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you are subscribed, you will, will of course, stay subscribed and move along with us. But uh, uh, just a, a reminder of that in case you weren't here for the big announcement and release uh, press release that went out a couple of weeks ago. Subscribe to that podcast by using your favorite podcast platform, Rumya, any segment you want to suggest to people to go back to and check out. Oh, man. Great conversations today. Uh, I think I'll go back to our chat with Christian and Linda about the Kamloops nice. self-advocate. Yeah. Uh, newsletter. And this is, you know, what I really loved about the segment was the journey that mother and son took to get here. And they went from not, as they put it, like Christian not being able to read and write, being told, you know, literacy is not really an option for you. And teachers, you know, staff, educators, um, kind of putting that on the back burner and, and saying, here, yeah, giving up. Here, try this. And if it doesn't work, oh, sorry. Right. And then, 
the timeline in which he learned how to read and write, which is basically from grade six to the end of high school, um, to learn the basics of math and English is incredible to me, the amount of work that they both put in. So that, along with the newsletter information, check it out. And many people out there, folks, will tell you their journey ended. You know, somebody gave up on them. Nobody would give the chance there. There are a lot of horrible stories of that kind of thing happening. Mm -hmm. And people didn't have that one person that said, hey, look, let's do this. And all of us do it. And wonderful for Linda and Christian for continuing it uh, so that that. And still having gratitude. Oh, yeah. So much gratitude. Uh, Check it out via the podcast. Paul Daniel joins us. You can find their program now with Dave Brown. He's one of the producers over there. It's also uh, on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning. You can find them as a podcast. Just simply subscribe. Sir, what is on deck tomorrow? Speaking of gratitude, hello, Kelly. Uh, yeah, the Friday news, panel conven- <laughs> convenes, the Friday news panel convenes tomorrow uh, to discuss some of the big issues of the week, including the follow-up from the U.S. midterm elections and Donald Trump's announcement that he's launching a third campaign for the presidency. The, p- the panel also discussed the talk of reinstating mask mandates in some form as a public health measure. Entertainment, entertainment critic Michael McNeely will profile the actor Toby Jones and preview the movie Empire of Light, which stars Jones. And I bet you didn't know, Kelly, today is National Homemade Bread Day. And to mark the occasion, Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will give us her future selections, all of which in some way involve bread. Hmm. Do you have a favorite bread, Paul? Uh, I think I like sourdough. Rum? Um, no, 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 not to drink. Yet. I meant as a, as a bread. Um... Baguette? <laughs> I really do like baguettes. Okay. I, I realized when I said that, when I said rum, I, no, no, I'm not suggesting a drink here or a type, type of bread. It's not a bad idea. Rum and sourdough? Delicious. Rum and sourdough. Yum, yum. Oh, oh, yum, yum. Butter, butter on top? Oh, lovely. <laughs> My dad used to shove on me the French bread. Uh, no, sorry. Well, French and Italian, Paul. You're Italian bread. Yes. And I, as a kid, I remember, it, oh, bread. isn't that a great piece of bread? <laughs> and I found the crust too hard. Like, right. no, yep. no. As a kid, it was like a torture yeah, do you being forced to rip the insides out? I yeah. used to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, this so is a lot nice of people in my family fluffy. who have no teeth because of the hard bread. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> on that, chew on that, folks. <laughs> if you can, if you're not in Paul's family. Talk to you tomorrow, sir. Or Take next care, week. Kelly. Paul care, Daniel Kelly. joining us. Please check out now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tV. Ramya, we'll be back tomorrow at 2. There's a reason why our families don't listen to the show. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's right. You don't have teeth. What was that, Paul? What was that? I hope everyone in this family was listening. Notion is using artificial intelligence to automatically hide your blog posts, uh, job descriptions, and poetry. We discuss with John Beeler on the show tomorrow. Also, Karen McGee, uh, she attended the Paratuff competition in Montreal that we spoke about on the show in Montreal earlier this month. She gives us her impressions of the event. Margaret Weldon joins us for the Friday Buzz as she pinch hits for Bill Shackleton. Starting in 2023, Amazon will start showing you the good reviews, folks, good reads reviews, excuse me, and ratings in their apps when you search for those ebooks and audiobooks. Ryan Huey has that scoop for us. Let's get the conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week on Cut for Time, folks. I'm waving at you. Out of here now. See ya. Do not consider myself a Christmas traditionalist. I like mainly the music. I like the feel. I really loved our presentation when I was at the blind school. Being with everyone, the snow would come and the school was filled with trees. It was an amazing experience back then. We didn't have a 
real tree at home. It was always an artificial. My, my family wasn't really comfortable with the real trees. But at W. Ross, that smell of pine, the ability to go pick what tree out, those experiences, I still got to have some of that. And I think they're nice. They're important to go out. And how about this one? Now, how about this one? This one's scrawny. How about this one? Too big. We had a lot of fun, and it was a very different time that many years back at the blind school, as I'm sure people who were there before me would say. And probably really cool and different things they they do there now. But at home, uh, mainly my family enjoyed our Christmas feel. There was lots of treats that my mother spent lots of time making. And, of course, you had your families that you visited with on the build-up, too. My father was a big, I just want to be with everyone at some point on Christmas. He understood the nuclear families thing and all that, but he wanted a little bit of time to see everyone. And that would put him to tears, the happiness tears. On my own, uh, one of my favorite things used to be to change my answering machine message every day. I used to always do that back. You'd go in and just switch it off with a different song. (laughs) And I used to pride myself on the pile of stuff I would use and the choices I would make. And I would start that usually on November 25th and do it for a month. And it was a lot of fun for me. Something that I would say was probably the most Christmassy that people would would note with me. The music. And in my little apartment um, way back when, I had lights I'd string around the apartment that uh, had some music and danced on and off. And a tiny little Christmas tree. And that was enough for me. I liked some of the movies, but not really a lot. When we, a couple of years ago, did It's a Wonderful Life, that was my first time really ever reading the whole story. As much as I'm an old-time radio fan and like old movies and knew all about it to the to a capacity of who was in it and that kind of thing and the, the mystique and history of it, did not really ever sit down to listen to it to my recollection. Um, that just wasn't for me. It was some of the other... More off-center movies, Oliver Twist, that you'd see at Christmas time that I kind of liked. Well, I know it's a little early, but thought I'd throw this out here since we were talking Christmas movies with Greg David this week. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.